0: and pray this morning. God, we uh, just invite you to come and be, God, with us. Uh, we're so thankful that you have taken that step toward us, that you sent your Son all those years ago to be born uh, around this time of year and to, to be uh, to come into this world. Uh, God, we've made a mess of things, and you wanted a relationship with us, so the way to do that was to send your Savior, your Messiah, your Son into this world. And so, Jesus, we welcome you to this place today. We believe, God, that you are here, that you are with us, that you are Emmanuel, that that wasn't just a moment in a manger, but that it's an enduring, lasting aspect of our relationship with you. And so we praise you today and we invite you into this place. So, Father, in these moments, may you increase and let us decrease so there's more of you, God, and less of us. Reveal to us who you are and show us what to change about our lives. We love you. And we praise you, we honor you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's so good to see you this morning. How's everybody doing? That was terrible. That really. I mean, it's Christmas time, and you're like, oh, we're okay. All right, so since nobody's good this morning, we're going to skip past that part. Let's go to this next thing. Here's my question for you this morning. How many of you have a favorite Christmas song? I want you to start thinking of your favorite. Still, nobody raises their hand. Like, nobody likes Christmas. We should just pray right now and get out of here, right? uh if you have a favorite christmas song here's what i want you to do i want you to start thinking about that maybe it's a carol maybe it's a classic maybe it's an r&b maybe it's frosty the snowman i don't know but get your favorite christmas song in your head you got it thinking about it favorite christmas song and i'm going to count to three and i want you guys to yell out to me and tell everybody in the room what's your favorite christmas song you ready you got it one two three i know that's my favorite too i love that it was good Who said that song from Frozen? That is not a Christmas song. I I think I heard, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? That's not a Christmas song. Don't want to disappoint anybody. But, man, I love Christmas music. In fact, to me, it doesn't start to feel like Christmas until the music kicks in. Have you ever kind of felt like that? I know where we live, uh, sometimes it's just chaotic around this time of year with Thanksgiving and going through the holidays and getting ready for Christmas, and everybody starts putting up their decorations, which that's not Christmassy, that's chaotic, because uh, now your house has got all your fall decorations and your Christmas decorations all in one giant room, and there's things everywhere, and it's just a mess, and so it doesn't start feeling like Christmas to me until I start hearing Christmas music. That's what it feels like to me, because even where we live, I mean, it's a little chilly right now, but a lot of times this time of year, it's still kind of warm, and so you start going, man, how do people in, like, Florida celebrate Christmas? That is crazy. I had a friend one time who grew up in Australia, and, like, Christmas season in Australia, on the other side of the world, it's hot. It's like... When they would sing songs about let it snow, let it snow, let it snow, they were looking around going, what is this snow we're supposed to be talking about, right? And so it's not a Christmas idea for them. But for me, when you start singing the music of Christmas, that's when things really start to kick into to gear for me. And here's why I believe that's true. Because the music of Christmas helps us understand the message of Christmas. And if you're taking notes this morning, and if you like to keep up with those kinds of things, you can just write that down. That This is part of the Christmas celebration, is that we sing, that we make music, to God, and that the music of Christmas helps us connect with the message of Christmas. All of these songs that we sing about, and even the things we did this morning about O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, that we understand and recognize that there is a God who loves us, who sent His Son to come and be with us, that He is not distant and foreign from us, but He is near. And the music of Christmas helps us connect with the message of Christmas. So it shouldn't come as a surprise to us that around the birth narrative of Jesus, we find music everywhere. When you start thinking about the birth narrative, you're going to see things take place that music just explodes onto the scene. When we find for the next few weeks, we're going to just look at the music that revolves around the story of Christmas. And so next week, we're going to talk about Mary. When Mary found out that she was going to have a son and that it was going to be the Messiah, the Savior of the world, Mary sang out a song to God. And when Zechariah found out that he was going to have a child, John, that he and Zach, uh, he and his wife Elizabeth were going to talk about this morning, when his son John, who was the forerunner of Jesus, the one who would come to prepare the way for the Messiah, when Zachariah's son was born, he sang out praises to God. And then next, or in two weeks, we're going to talk about the angels' song on the night of Jesus' birth. The angels show up on the scene, and they explode out of heaven with this joyful chorus, glory to God, in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests and we're going to just talk about these songs this music of christmas but it should come as no surprise to us that god would have music all over the narrative of the birth of jesus because music helps us connect to the message and so that's where we start looking at in the scriptural narrative and so this morning if you have your bibles let's just celebrate god's truth together turn to luke chapter 1 and we're going to look and celebrate the fact that God's given us His truth to live our lives by. And as He does that, we're going to find out quite a bit about the story of John the Baptist. And so here's what we need to understand. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, there's been a period of silence for 400 years. And so as Luke begins to write, this is what the, kind of the backdrop is. So let's read this together, and then we'll talk a little bit more about that. Luke chapter 1, starting verse 5. In the time of Herod, the king of Judea... There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. And his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Now once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest of God, before God, and he was chosen by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer is has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the holy spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news." Excuse me, this is good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he had kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, when we look back at this, like I said a few minutes ago, at the beginning of this gospel, right before Luke starts to write, there's been a period of time of 400 years that God has been largely silent. In fact, we know of no prophetic message. We know of no prophetic uh, writings. We know of no uh, uh, biblical account of God breaking into the silence. But for 400 years, He's been silent. God's been silent. From the time of the Old Testament writing of Malachi to the time of Zechariah showing up to serve in the temple, there's been nothing from God. The people have heard nothing from their God. And so there's been this incredible silence that they've experienced. The Old Testament, though, ends with a prophecy of the future, of what will happen when God sends his Messiah. And so if you were to go back in the Old Testament to Malachi chapter 4, we're going to put this on the screen for you, I believe. Do we have that? We're going to put this on the screen. But Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Here's the last thing that was recorded in the Old Testament before this 400-year period of silence and before Luke's writing. And so here's what Malachi writes. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Or some translations say or with a curse. So the prophet Elijah is one of the most revered prophets of the Old Testament period. He's one of the most powerful prophets. He's a guy that caused there to be no rain in Israel for a period of three years. he shut up the the skies and the heavens, and God gave him the power to to withhold rain from being sent to Israel. And so Elijah is one of the most prominent um, prophets that there is in Israel. Malachi says that before the Messiah comes, that God's going to send the prophet Elijah to prepare the way for the Lord. That he's going to send someone who will be a forerunner, who will proclaim that the Messiah is coming, that the Savior of the world is on his way, and that God has a plan, and that he's doing something about his promise that he gave thousands of years ago. So even today, because the Jewish people don't accept Jesus as being the Messiah, the Jewish people are still, today when they celebrate Passover, many Jewish people will set a place at the Passover table for Elijah. In anticipation and waiting for the prophet Elijah to come back to usher in the Messiah for the Israelite people, for the Jewish people, and so this prophet elijah he 's respected, he's admired and he's waiting uh, they're waiting for him to come and usher in the Messiah. so Luke opens his gospel and he tells us about the story of Zechariah and elizabeth he doesn 't jump straight to Jesus and Mary and Joseph. he gives us this narrative story about elijah uh, and or excuse me about Zechariah and elizabeth, and here 's what he tells us number one. They're very old. He doesn't make any bones about it. He says they're, they're very old. They're old people. Number two, that they are childless. That Elizabeth has been barren. That she's not been able to have children. And, and that it's been a disgrace for them. Because in that culture, that was a disgraceful thing to not be able to have children. That was seen as, as God uh, not having approval on you. And so they're childless. And then the third thing is, is that they're godly. That even in the middle of these kinds of circumstances, that they have walked with God. That they've loved God. That they've followed after the heart of God and that this is part of who they are, that they come from a, a direct lineage from um, from the prophets and from from Aaron and Moses' brother, and so uh, you see these people, they have walked in line with God, and they've kept His ways, they've kept His decrees, and they've stayed faithful to pray, and to ask God consistently for a child that would be a blessing to them, and yet by the time we run into uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, they're old, they have no kids, and there's really probably no hope for that, except that... God can do things that nobody else can do, right? And so, when we start to see this, Zechariah is chosen for a period of service in the temple. He's one of the priests, and uh, there would be uh, thousands of priests—about eighteen thousand priests—and they would take turns rotating to take an assignment in the temple. And so, just at the right moment, God allows Zechariah to be chosen for that. And then he gets to Jerusalem where he's going to serve in the temple. And they draw straws in a way. They cast lots of draw straws. And it was like a one in five or six chance that you might get to actually be the, the one who would go into the temple and sacrifice or to burn incense on your day of, of preparation. And so Zechariah ends up drawing the straw. And he's chosen to go into the temple on this day. What are the, the odds? What are the chances that of, of 18,000 prophets that he would be chosen in a select group and then they would get to Jerusalem and he would be chosen to go in? God's working something out, because it's through this man, it's through this person that God's going to bring in the one who's going to usher in the Messiah, that's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so all of this is taking place, and when the angel shows up, Zechariah goes into the, the temple to offer the incense, and an angel shows up right beside him. And at first we're just told it's an angel. He's just to the right of the table of incense, and we don't know who this is, but the angel obviously scares Zechariah, because we would be terrified, too, if somebody just showed up beside you, right, and probably, you know, tall and glowing, maybe, I don't know, like angels, whatever they look like. We always picture them with giant wings, and so if that showed up in the room you were standing in, you would be scared, too, right? So don't pretend like Zechariah's, you know, a wimp or anything. This angel shows up, and he's scared, and the angel does exactly what every angel does when they show up in Scripture. What's the first thing they always say? Because everybody's always terrified don't be afraid, don't freak out, it's just me, it's cool, it's like, it's just you, you're an angel. And so you've got this moment where it says, don't be afraid, your prayer has been heard. See, Zachariah and Elizabeth hadn't given up praying, they had faithfully prayed. Even I believe at this stage, I don't think that the angel was saying, "Do you remember that prayer you prayed 30 years ago to have a baby? God heard that prayer. It took him a while, but he heard it. I think they're still faithfully praying. Even in their old age, I think that Sarah, or that Elizabeth and Zechariah are praying and saying, God, would you bless us with a child? Would you give us a child? Would you give us a son? And so the angel says, God's heard your prayer. You've not given up. You've been faithful to pray. And here's what you need to know about the child. The child will be a joy and a delight to you. He will also be great in the sight of the Lord. Like this child that you're going to have. Your wife is going to get pregnant. She's going to have a child. And when he comes, he's going to be a joy and a delight to you. That's true of every child, right? Of every parent. When you hold your baby for the first time, they're a joy and a delight. And it doesn't matter. We, we know we've seen kids go wayward and we've off the path and all those kinds of things. And yet they're still, they're the delight of our eyes. They're our, our children. And so the angel says, hey, listen, you need to know that this child, he's going to be a joy He's going to be a delight to you. And you're going to see that He's not only going to be a joy and a delight to you, but He's going to be great in the eyes of the Lord. And in fact, many will flow to Him. Many will come to Him. And He will make a difference in Israel. He'll be born, and I love this. I never paid attention to this before. I don't know how I missed this, but in verse 14, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of His birth. Verse 15, for He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or ferment a drink, and... He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Now, I've never, I've never paid attention to that little phrase in, in my Bible before. I've read the Christmas story hundreds and hundreds of times. But I've never paid attention to this little phrase here. That your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. That when John comes onto the scene, that when Elizabeth gets pregnant, that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he comes out of the womb. And this is amazing, and we're going to see more about why this is important next week, but I want to talk about that just for a minute because you're going to see that this isn't a typical response of the Holy Spirit. That in the Old Testament time and in this period of time, we need to understand that for us, when we invite Christ into our life, that the Spirit of God comes and lives in our heart. Jesus said, when he left earth to ascend back to heaven, I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to send a comforter to you. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and He's going to reside with you. He's going to live with you. He's going to live in you. But before Jesus came, this is what took place, that the Holy Spirit was a gift that was given on special occasions to certain people and for a limited period of time. The very first time we see the appearance of the Holy Spirit in Scripture is when the original tabernacle was being built in the desert. That God said to Moses, I'm going to put my spirit on workers and they're going to be able to do things that they normally would not be able to do to craft this tabernacle that I want you to build for me. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Special assignment, certain people, limited period of time. When the angel tells Zechariah that he's going to have a child, he says, John, your son is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. This is going to be a special child. He's got an assignment. He has a purpose. And I want you to understand what that is. He'll go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Do you remember the passage that we read from Malachi just a little while ago? What was the last thing that Malachi referenced in a prophetic message to the people of Israel? On the great day of the Lord when he comes, the forerunner Elijah will come and he'll turn the hearts of the people The parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. And if that doesn't happen, then I'll strike the land with a curse. It'll be destroyed. And now, 400 years later, the very first thing that's said, following the Old Testament, God picks right back up where He stopped. The hearts of the parents will be turned to the children, the children to the parents. in Luke... The angel comes to Zechariah and he says, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah and he's going to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the disobedient to the righteous, which sounds a whole lot like children, right? Those disobedient little codgers. And we're going to go, hey, those disobedient little guys are going to turn back to the righteous, which parents means what? We're supposed to live righteous lives before our kids, that we're supposed to stand upright in the sight of God because our kids are watching us. He goes, this is what's going to happen. John's going to help this transition. The Old Testament ends. The New Testament begins 400 years. The message stays the same. God says, I haven't finished my work. And your son's going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Now, here's what that means. He's going to be a type of Elijah. It's not going to be Elijah reincarnated. Uh, It's not going to be the literal Elijah. He says, I'm going to put the spirit of Elijah in your son. He's going to be a type of Elijah. And Jesus' disciples once asked Jesus about this prophecy that before the Messiah would come, that Elijah would show up first. Because remember, this was an important part of Jewish culture. That they knew that Elijah was supposed to come before the Messiah was ushered in. And so Jesus' disciples asked him, Hey, what about Elijah? In, uh, in uh, Matthew 17, 12 and 13, he says this. This is the disciples talking to Jesus. Uh, they've asked him where, when Elijah is going to show up. And Jesus says, But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to be suffering at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. And so the disciples start putting the pieces together. Jesus says, hey, where's Elijah? What do you mean, where's Elijah? He came. It was John. He came and did everything that he was supposed to do. He was the forerunner. He came not as Elijah in human flesh, but in the spirit and the power of Elijah. With that great prophetic presence and that great powerful ability to communicate God's truth to the people. This is who John was. That he came in the spirit and the power of Elijah. So after 400 years of silence, God is finally on the move. Preparing the way for the long anticipated Messiah. He's sending his forerunner. And he tells Zechariah, here comes your son and he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Now there's only one problem with that. And the problem is Zachariah doesn't believe him. Zechariah has this moment of doubt. And so Zechariah asked the angel, Luke 1.18, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife was well along in years. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel. Now we get to know who the angel is. At first we just know it's an angel. Now he says, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now, Zechariah, you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people—excuse uh, me. Meanwhile, uh, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So when Zechariah doubts, we find out who the angel is. He says, listen, I'm Gabriel, which I don't know if that lands on you at all, but here's who Gabriel is. Gabriel is the archangel of God, one of God's archangels. He is a messenger of God. Then when God has messages that he wants to communicate with people, he typically sends Gabriel to do that. Gabriel is the one on assignment from God to go and communicate God's message to people. Gabriel would show up. He's going to show up to Mary. He's going to ex- explain to her that she's going to have a son, but he's the messenger of God. And he says, I stand in the presence of almighty God. And he told me to bring you this good news. But here's the deal, Zechariah: since you didn't believe the good news, there's going to be a consequence. Now, I, I have to be honest with you. I read between the lines of scripture sometimes. I don't know if, uh, if, if, Gabriel had been given permission by God to do this or not, or if this was just on his own volition. But when uh, Zechariah goes, hey, I don't know if I can handle this. I mean, I'm old and my wife's old and we don't have any kids. And he's like, okay, okay, let's just do this then. You don't get to talk for nine months. Like, I don't know if God said, hey, listen, if he doesn't believe you, or because God knows everything, when he doesn't believe you, tell him he's mute. Or if Gabriel just went, let's just have some fun with you then. Okay, buddy? And he says, no more talking for you. But this is what happens. And so when Zechariah comes out, of the temple he's completely silent he's unable to talk and he has to try to communicate with the people because he's been in the temple for a long time the people are getting worried about what's going on why has he been in there for so long and when he comes out he can't speak and so now you have the first biblical game of charades that starts taking place right have you ever thought about this that he comes out he doesn't know sign language some of you in the room know sign language zachariah doesn't know sign language and even if he did the people wouldn't understand what he was saying because they probably don't know sign language so he just starts gesturing wildly and trying to communicate, but how do you communicate? Like there was an angel, I don't know. Like what was going on in this moment? And he told me I'm going to have a baby. You know, like what? How does he do this? And he tries to communicate with the, with the people who are waiting for him. That this is what I saw, and they understand he saw a vision, but he can't speak. And so he goes home. Now imagine this moment where he goes home and he gets to tell his wife Elizabeth, "Gonna have a baby." There was an angel. Like he can't talk. And ladies, let's just be honest. For some of you, would be like nine months with my husband not talking. That's not really such a bad deal, right? I mean, like, I think I can maybe get behind that. But this is where Elizabeth and Zechariah find themselves. But what's amazing is that the last part of that verse we see is that Elizabeth becomes pregnant. And even in her old age, God keeps His promises because God's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can think, ask, or even imagine according to the New Testament. And so we see the power of God. But then Luke, we're going to fast forward nine months and Luke's going to continue this story. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. If you have your Bibles with you, let's just read this together. Luke one fifty-seven. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he used to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. And they made signs to his father then to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. John. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. And everyone who heard this wondered about, what is, uh, wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. And so the baby is born, and still Zechariah can't speak. Like, this wasn't one of those things where you go, okay, the baby's born, nine months has passed, now I get my voice back right the baby comes and still there's nothing he can't talk and so now he's wondering how prolonged of a period of time do i have to go through of being mute and silent i don't know what's happening and so the jewish custom was that on the eighth day you would take your child to the temple to be circumcised and they would name them there in that moment and when they have this discussion what are you going to name the baby elizabeth because she can talk we're going to name him john Okay, well, women don't have much of an opinion and authority in this culture. So, John, what do you think? We're going to discard that. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's obviously crazy. There's nobody in your family named John. Zachariah would be a much more common name to give to your son. What do you think? What are you going to name your child? And he asks for a writing tablet, which gets past the charades game, because how do you do John in charades, right? And so he starts to write it down. His name will be John. And at that moment, because of his belief, because of what he does to follow the heart of God and to accept the angel's message, his mouth is opened, and he once again gets to communicate. And he starts to praise God. And it's amazing to see what takes place here because if you think about this, what would you do if you could speak for the first time in more than nine months? I mean, if you had been silent for that long of a period of time and you could finally speak, what would you say? I imagine Zachariah's given some thought to what his first words are going to be after all of this has taken place. I imagine that Zechariah maybe had even planned to write this song that he's about to sing. But the truth is is that there's also the possibility that he didn't. Maybe he didn't plan this out. Maybe there was no pre-planned thought about a song that was going to burst out of him. Because look at what we see in the very next verse, verse 67. Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Through song that he prophesied. And so here's what I love, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that his son John, who would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth and throughout his life, would have the Spirit of God on him. Now Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he starts to sing out. That word prophesy, in uh, in some translations it says sing. Uh, We don't know the tune, we don't know the chorus, we don't know how it sounded, but we know the lyrics. And so I want us just to look through these lyrics just for a second, because as believers... We have the same Spirit of God. And Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins to sing. Look at this song. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. Verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant, as He said through His holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember His holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Before him all of our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God which by which the rising sun will have come to help us come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And so Zacharias sings, and there's three types of prophecy. At the beginning of this, he says that he started to prophesy. There's three types of prophecy. And again, if you're taking notes this morning, just write this down very briefly. The first is a foretelling of future events. That's a type of prophecy. That there are people who are given the Spirit of God and that they can foretell future events. We see this through much of the the Old Testament and in several places in the New Testament. That there are people who make prophetic statements about the future, that God gives them the ability to predict the future and to say, this is what God will do, this is what's coming up. There's a foretelling of future events. The second is a foretelling of the Word of God. This is what we would typically think of as the spiritual gift of prophecy in the New Testament. That it's about taking God's word and saying, this is what God's word says, and here's what it means and how you apply it in your life. The typical message that we preach on a Sunday morning is a a prophecy of God's word because it is a foretelling of scripture. This is someone who's able to take the word of God and to communicate it to people in a way that makes sense that you understand how to live your life by it. It's a foretelling of the word of God. The third one is a praising of God. That prophecy can be a praising of God. And here's what I love about this song that we sing from Zechariah. He uses all three of these categories in his song. That there's foretelling of future events, that there's a foretelling of the Word of God, and that there's praise to God in the middle of it. And so you start to see what Zechariah sings, and you see the beauty of the lyrics of the song. We're going to talk a little bit more about it in just a second. But Zechariah's song highlights God's faithfulness. He says, God's been faithful and while we've had a period of time for 400 years where we haven't seen the activity of God, known the activity of God, had a clue what God was doing, God is still faithful. And so here's what he says verse 69. He says he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from all who hate us or from the the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. That he swore to our father Abraham. God is faithful. He swore this to Abraham thousands of years ago. And now it's coming to fruition. Now it's coming to be, to pass. And so his song highlights God's faithfulness. But the song, in the song we also see the first glimmer of hope. That God was actually doing what he said. If you look again at verse 76. To you my child will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him and to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. After 400 years of silence, here's the first glimmer of hope that God is doing what He said, that He has sent His messenger, the one who would come, the Elijah, the forerunner of God. John comes in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He says, this is the one that was prophesied about. This is the one that would come. And because He's coming, guess what comes next? The Messiah, the Savior, the one that you will go and prepare the way for. He's coming into the world. He's near. It's going to happen soon. In fact, sooner than we even know, which we'll pick up the story of Mary next week and we'll see how their stories overlap. But he says you are the one who's been coming to send for the Messiah to to prepare the way for him. And here's what I would want us to understand today, that that same hope of salvation from the effects of sin is still available to us today. That when Zechariah prophesies about John and the role he'll play, he says, the one that you are coming to prepare the way for will bring salvation to Israel. He'll redeem us from our sins. He will be the one that God uses to rescue a a people that have been captive. There's two forms of captivity that they're dealing with. They're dealing with the Roman oppression and captivity, but they're also dealing with the same captivity we face and deal with today, and that's the captivity to sin and the effects of sin on our hearts. It's gripping, it's destructive, it casts a dark shadow over us. And so Zechariah sings and he prophesies and he says, My child will be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. It's the only way we can be saved is to have our sins forgiven. And some of you today still find yourselves captive to the dark shadow of sin and to its Will it?